one thing that's really important is really thinking about how important to you is it that you do everything? Because sometimes what it is, is we're holding on to stuff and realizing like, what do I really care about? I don't care that the bathroom is cleaned exactly the way I would want it cleaned. My husband doesn't do things exactly the way I would. And one of the things that's helped me is being a leader. So at work, I don't expect my employees to do things exactly the way I would do it. I think about what a nightmare boss I would be if I sat over their shoulder and made sure I need you to do it just exactly how I would. I don't, I don't behave like that at work. And so you can't behave like that at home. I'm Dr. Nicole Byers, clinical psychologist and neuroscience nerd. And you're listening to the Bold Life Podcast, the podcast for ambitious overachievers and recovering perfectionists who feel stretched thin and overwhelmed trying to do it all. As a recovering perfectionist with big career goals, I know how frustrating it can feel to never have enough time in your day or to endlessly procrastinate because you lack the confidence to take action. I've spent years understanding how our brains work and the mental habits that get in our way. Each week, I'll share actionable strategies and guest interviews to help you get relief from your to-do list, build your confidence, and reach your goals. If you want to learn how to thrive both at home and at work, you're in the right place. Hello, and welcome to the Bold Life Podcast. Today, we're joined by leadership coach Cheryl Dawson to talk about how it's possible to be happy and successful and why we don't have to sacrifice one for the other. Cheryl is a former corporate executive turned leadership coach. She works with women who have landed their dream leadership role only to find themselves overwhelmed and feeling like they never have enough time. Cheryl's 20 years of leadership experience allow her to provide practical advice on how to succeed at work and have a life. Welcome, Cheryl. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited too. This is something we talk about a lot on the podcast is how do we find balance in our lives? So I'm so excited to get your perspective on this. Maybe can you start us off, tell us a little bit about you and really what got you interested in working in this area? Happy to share. So I spent 20 years in a corporate career climbing the ladder. Um, and just uh, just before the pandemic struck, actually, I found myself looking around at what my next career opportunity would be. And so I was looking at different companies I might like to work for, researching different options. I was looking at coming in at an executive leadership level. So one of the things I obviously did was to look at each company in terms of who was already on their executive leadership team. And as I did that work, I found myself getting madder and madder and madder because I kept uncovering companies that were still led completely by men, or maybe they might have one woman in HR, of course. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I could feel this growing frustration. And when I really sat down with myself and thought about it, it didn't feel like enough to join one of those companies and be one woman in an executive position to help them move forward. I mean, the thought that honestly ran through my head was it's 2020. If you don't have women on your leadership team already, you're choosing not to. And so what that led me to was trying to think about how could I have a bigger impact? And, you know, it revived kind of an old dream I had. I had thought when I turned 50, I might start coaching and mentoring other women in leadership positions. 
And so I realized there's nothing saying I had to wait until I was 50. I could do it now. And what that meant is that rather than being that one woman in the room, I could support many women to be able to move into those leadership roles or succeed in them. The other thing I was seeing during the pandemic is so many women really struggling after they'd been struggling before the pandemic too, let's be honest, uh, to be able to balance what was expected of them at work and what was expected of them at home. And so I wanted to be someone who could be a support for those women. I love that. I think that's so valuable. I was very fortunate throughout most of my career that I've always had strong female mentors. And I know seeing how you know other colleagues have gone through their careers, that's not often the case, right? And how having those, you know, female mentors to look up to and some examples of leadership can be so valuable for us as women in the business world. It really can. And I think that coming from a corporate background where things can be very competitive, the other thing I knew is that it sometimes was difficult to get mentors within your company or to feel like you could be open and honest with them. And so coming in as an external leadership coach, uh, people are not in competition with me. We can have real conversations and I can help them and it can be all about them as opposed to them having to maintain, you know, politics in, within the company and being careful what they said and those sorts of things. And, you know, that can be a real challenge too, especially when there's few women. And in some companies, there might be, you know, one senior woman who's trying to mentor 10 below her. And that can be really difficult too and unfair. That's really interesting. I'd love to get your perspective on this because I have read before about kind of one of the struggles we have as women in leadership is that we often get very competitive with each other. And so there will be that one woman who is for whatever reason, their values and and their goals end up pitting them against other women. Is that something that you notice? For sure. And I think one of the reasons that happens is we can see that there's usually only one woman at that table we're looking to get a seat at. And so we feel like it is a competition because it seems like they're only ever promoting one. And so we want to be that one, uh, which is, you know, not entirely our fault and also not fixed. (laughs) And so... That's certainly part of the work is start to make it feel like there's going to be more than one seat at that table. Um, So that's part of it. The other thing is some of these industries are just competitive. And so they're competitive for men and women. Uh, And the other piece is the leadership that we're often taught and that is rewarded is a more male leadership style, which can be much more competitive versus collaborative. Uh, I think that's shifting. I hope it's shifting, but certainly it's still there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. I hadn't thought about that, that if we're all competing for this one seat that we see, that's the only one available, that's obviously going to bring up some of that competition. Is that, I know you mentioned kind of a more male, kind of male type of leadership styles often valued. Is that something that you work with clients on as women is kind of finding their unique voice and their unique style? Absolutely. And I think sometimes that takes time. And sometimes for me anyway, part of what it took was acknowledging that the leadership I had been taught was more masculine leadership. I'm not sure that I, as a young leader, even saw that. And so it was part of it was opening my eyes to that's what I was being taught. And the things I was being criticized for were the more feminine leadership coming forward in me. And so it took time to get brave enough to start to try that stuff out, even though I was being criticized. So one of the things for me was I was told over and over that I was too nice. You are too nice. You are too nice. You are too nice. 
eventually I got bold enough to start to be able to articulate to people how that niceness was working for me. And so I was very good at building relationships. And so I didn't have to be mean to get people to do their jobs. They wanted to work hard for me because we had a great relationship. And so as a younger leader, I didn't have the words to articulate that. And so I would often just absorb that feedback and feel ashamed about it and try to be less nice. (laughs) And as I got more mature in my leadership and I learned more, I got better at just speaking back to that and saying, really, how do you think that's held me back? And people often didn't have an answer for that. And I could say, well, here's some ways I know that it's helped me. And so that's just an example, but it's an example I see in other women too, not just me. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I think that's something that we probably all struggle with early in our career is having that confidence to be able to really speak up for ourselves. And you're right. That's kind of the go-to, right? Is we internalize all this and take it all on and we feel guilty and bad, like we're doing something wrong, which can be a really hard mindset to shift. Absolutely. And the other thing is it doesn't help. Like I found every time I tried to lead like someone I wasn't, things went worse. Like I felt worse and I did worse. I wasn't good at leading as someone else. Where I really succeeded was when I was able to be myself and lead that way. And so that's certainly something I work on with my clients is how do you uncover what your strengths are, embrace them, and let go mostly of your weaknesses. Like there might be some things you want to adjust, but honestly, if you're spending most of your time trying to be like someone else and trying to implement the criticism that you're getting that may or may not even be fair, you will have trouble succeeding and you'll feel bad all the time. And so the other thing I talk to people about is, what if it works? Great. And you become this leader that is really effective at leading a way you hate. Okay, you're successful, but you're miserable. Is that what you want? And so sometimes you have to make some tough decisions about, am I willing to be myself and see if it's accepted here? And if it's not, think about how do I get out of here to a place where I will be accepted? Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Something I've talked about on the show before is even in terms of kind of mental brain resources, it takes so much energy to be someone that we're not. So we're putting all of this effort and these brain resources into acting a way that's not natural and isn't comfortable for us. So not only are you frustrated, but you're also burning out and you're not as effective, right? Because now I don't have enough resources to really focus on the things that are going to matter and are going to improve my performance. It's so true. It's so true. And it doesn't improve your performance. And even if it did, Is that how you want to win? And it can be a hard question to ask yourself, but sometimes you have to ask it. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. The other thing I'd love for us to spend some time talking about, you mentioned that shift in the pandemic. And I know, like you said, this has always been a struggle, especially for women, I can imagine, in leadership roles, is finding that balance between home life and work life and how do we do it all without ending up burnt out. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, I feel like I could talk about this for hours. It's a favorite <laughs> right. topic of mine. Um, but certainly one of the most important things I would say is getting comfortable not doing it all and accepting help and some cases demanding help if that's what it takes. Um, and it, to me, as a woman in a leadership role, it applies in two places. Uh, it applies at work in that I see women far more often than men not using the support they do have at work, not fully using their team, not asking too much of their assistance, those sorts of things, or not using the support that is available to them or demanding more support in the workplace. 
And it also, of course, applies at home. Uh, getting full support from your partner. My best advice to young women is always, if you're planning to have a partner, find someone who's a feminist. You need that support at home. And also being comfortable with either lowering your expectations at home, hiring help at home, letting people help you. If you think you're going to do every bit of parenting and everything at work, that's a fast track to misery. Yeah. I was thinking about this before we hopped on the call today. And and one thing that I know I struggle with is I do okay delegating when everything's going well. But as soon as I get really stressed or we get tight deadlines, kind of that tendency towards perfectionism and overachieving comes in. And then even though I'm time crunched, I want to do all of everything by myself. Do you notice that? Oh, yes. That's, I think that's natural. So those are one of, those are those moments when I sit with myself and I go, Oh, look at you. You're so cute. You're just a human like everyone else. You're stressed out and you're falling back on your old habits of perfectionism um, and trying to do everything yourself. And so I think the first thing for that, for me anyway, has been self-compassion, like not beating myself up for being like that, because I do that too, for sure. I have days where I go, I've got to do everything and it's got to be all right now and I'm going to do it all myself. And so if you can take even a second and notice that you're doing that, then you can say, oh, you're just human. You're really stressed out. Of course, this is happening. And that kind of takes the pressure down a little And then the second step to me is always, always figuring out what you need to let go of. Because if you're in that place, you've taken on too much. And so to me, there is always the ability to prioritize. Something on that list is more important than the other somethings. (laughs) And so some of it has to be delayed, delegated, dropped entirely. We don't use that one enough, I don't think. Sometimes we just need to say, you know what, this thing isn't going to happen. Let it go. And, but I think you have to get to the self-compassion place first so that you can take the deep breath and go, okay, let me re-strategize here because something's not working. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I think that's, that's a really hard struggle for a lot of us, especially any of us who are perfectionists or overachievers who want to be able to do everything and to say, you know, to take a look at my to-do list and say, it's just not actually possible for me to do all of this. Where am I going to let go because it often I find feels like we're, we're failing by doing this, by saying, I can't get to this thing. Then we, you know, really harden ourselves and we feel like we're not doing enough, you know, tips for finding that self-compassion. Where do we start? Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, I still do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's probably going to be a lifelong thing, but I think that really acknowledging your humanity is huge. And I think that for many of us, for me, for sure, I, I identify as, you know, an overachiever perfectionist type of person. I'm definitely a type A type of person, but I'm also very caring. And so if I saw someone else behaving this way, I'd, I'd be having the conversation with them that was like, listen, you're only human. It's okay. And some of this is far more important. And so I try to have that same conversation with myself. And I think the other thing that helps me, even if I can't access that, you're just a human and it's okay to be a human is usually there is one thing on the list that I really, really care about more than the other things. And so even if I can't totally access that self-compassion, I am usually able to access what's the thing that really, really, really matters to me and hone in on that. And then sometimes the self-compassion comes later. Honestly, sometimes it takes a few days, maybe more for me to look back and go, oh, you just took on too much, Cheryl. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. I love that. One question that I recommend that I used to ask myself and I recommend to my patients and clients is to say, you know, if my best friend or daughter or sister was in this position and saying these things, what would I tell her? Because we tend to be so much harder on ourselves than we are on anyone else. And so taking that step outside of ourselves of, you know, what would I tell someone else in this situation? Well, I'd probably tell them they're taking on too much and they're not superwoman and they can't actually do all of this. And it's okay to take that step back. Yes. Yes. For me, it's been huge to have a daughter too. So I often will think like, would I want my daughter living this way? Or do I want to role model this for my daughter? That helps a lot. Um, And the other big piece on that self-compassion is I try not to beat myself up for not having self-compassion. Right. Yes. Yes. To do that. I really try to just go, okay, well, I'm struggling to do that right now. And, you know, trust that I'll be able to get back there eventually. Mm -hmm. I know you mentioned this a little bit already, but can we talk a little bit more about delegating at home? Because I think that is, that's something that I've been really working on. I think it's really helped me as a business owner as well, because the more I can delegate at home, kind of the more comfortable I feel or the more practice I have doing these skills day to day. Do you have any recommendations for kind of starting that process at home or kind of what should we do? Yes, great question. And it's absolutely related. So this applies to corporate women too. Like if you're exhausted, what all are you doing at home? (laughs) That definitely makes a difference. Um, And if you're struggling to delegate at work, I bet you're struggling to delegate at home too. I think one thing that's really important is really thinking about how important to you is it that you do everything? Because sometimes what it is, is we're holding on to stuff. And, you know, one of the things I had to get comfortable with is I'm not a wife who cooks supper every night. This was like a long time ago. I haven't done that in many years. But, yeah. <laughs> but you know, realizing like, who do, what do re- I really care about? And it wasn't that. Uh, I don't care that the bathroom is cleaned exactly the way I would want it cleaned. Yeah. You know, it's not exactly the same. My husband doesn't do things exactly the way I would. And one of the things that's helped me is being a leader. So at work, I don't expect my employees to do things exactly the way I would do it. I think about what a nightmare boss I would be if I sat over right. their shoulder and made sure I need you to do it just exactly how I would. I don't, I don't behave like that at work. And so you can't behave like that at home. <laughs> so I think that's a piece of it. The other piece is for me, it's been educating my spouse. You know, he's a man. He is conditioned as a man in society he hadn't thought a whole lot about how hard things are for women (laughs) or the patriarchy or any of those things. Those were not things that were like big topics of conversation or thought in his mind. So we've been married 20 years now. I think he could explain them all very well to you if you brought him on the podcast, because it's many conversations over years and sharing tidbits of like, these are things that are really hard for women in general, and then narrowing them down to us too. And part of that too, is realizing like, he didn't care if I cooked supper every night. Having some of these conversations and putting things out in the open about like, what do we care about? And how can we stay out of each other's way and work together as a team? Yeah, I love that. The one that's really helped me and I'm still working on this, this is a work in progress, is delegating some of that mental load at home. Because I was always good at delegating the tasks, right? I'd give like my husband a grocery list and say like, go get groceries. Or like I'd sort the laundry and say, finish this. But it would be all of the making the grocery list and planning for trips and planning for activities. And I do so much of that at work as a business owner. I'm making so many decisions all the time. And so I'd get home and I'd be exhausted and I can't think my de- I'm decision fatigue. My brain's like, enough is enough. And it, but it was hard for me to start letting go of some of those decisions because I'd always done it for our family. So yes, 
so I have a little newsflash for everyone. My husband can do whole tasks all by himself. He's a grown adult. He keeps the calendar. He buys birthday gifts for my kids' friends. Like he can do the whole thing. He doesn't need me to keep track in my head of how he should do everything and what he should do. But we had to learn that. And so I think one of the things is delegating the whole thing and not trying to, again, it's a bit of a micromanage thing sometimes. Like sometimes what it is, is we want to keep kind of control of it. And so by keeping the mental part of the task, we're still in control of it. And so we have conversations about like, this thing is your domain. I will never touch it or ask questions about it. And the deal we have is that it's going to get done. And that's it. Like, and so I think being able to delegate the whole thing and on both sides, like there's a book, um, Fair Play, I think it's called. She talks about this. Okay. But we've been doing it for years. So I can tell you it works. It's just deciding like the dishes, husband, are your problem. I'm not going to remind you to do the dishes. I'm not going to check if you did them. Uh, but they're going to get done and it happens. And if they forget now and then, like, remember they're human too, but also don't take that as a signal that you should now take over and make sure you remind them every day. Right. Right. I really like the analogy you gave earlier too of, you know, I wouldn't micromanage my team at work like this. So why am I micromanaging my family at home? Right. I would give my staff a task and let them run with it. So why am I not able to give up that control at home as well? Cause you're right. It really does come down to that control. It does. And I know it's hard. Like, I'm not saying that's always easy. But I think deciding like, do I want this to be my thing or not? And if you want it to be your thing, then keep it. Find time in your schedule and decide like, this is my thing. I like it done a certain way. I'm going to do it. But be honest about it rather than, you know, having the same fight over and over with your spouse about the thing you want to control, but you also want them to do it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fair point. So the other thing I want to hear a little bit more about is how you made that transition from corporate to starting your own business. Because I know we'll have some listeners out there who are maybe thinking about that, especially there have been some changes in the economy last couple of years, and maybe folks are thinking about making that leap. How did you do this? What was that like for you? Share. (laughs) Happy to share. So I'm still like, I feel like I'm still very much in it. I spent 20 years in my corporate career and I've been in my business for one. And so it's been very interesting to kind of be a beginner again and great most of the time, but interesting. One of the biggest um, adjustments I would say is allowing myself to enjoy the freedom of having my own business. You become so used to you're going to sit at a desk all day that there have definitely been times where I find myself like I've got to be at my desk and I'm working, working, working. And then sometimes I'm like, well, I'm mentally exhausted. And then I go, like, I'm my own boss. <laughs> I'm right. This way. And so embracing that you can set your own routines and schedules. And also that as a beginner and as someone doing definitely some creative work, like certainly the marketing is creative and coaching can be creative as well. You need to have enough space to be able to do that well and bring your whole self to it. And so for me, sitting at a desk 10 hours a day is not conducive to doing that work well. And so I have to, you know, embrace that. Yeah, I'm going to go for a walk in the daytime because I can and because I do better work that way. And so that's been part of it is mental shifts and also just like being willing to laugh at myself when I catch myself, you know, in old habits, which is fine. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that idea of thinking of yourself as a beginner. Again, I think that's a hard transition. If we've been successful in one career for a while and we're starting something new, we have this, even if we don't say it out loud, we have this expectation at the back of our minds that I'm going to be able to do this 
right away as well, even though I spent 20 years getting to this point. But that's where we expect ourselves to start. It's absolutely true. And so one thing that I think has helped me is I took a lot of risks throughout my career. I was, um, you know, in this in a similar line of work, but I often accepted assignments that were, you know, risky and big changes and required me to adapt to new environments. And so I think having practiced at that over time definitely helped me make this leap as well, because I've proven to myself that I can adapt and I'll figure it out. And so I think that's helped a lot. And the other thing is, you know, still lots of that self-compassion of, you know, when there's a hard day or when you think, man, I should be able to figure this out. Um, you know, being gentle with yourself and realizing you will get it. It, you know, it might take time and that's okay. Yeah. I love that. I love that idea too of reflecting on other times in our lives when we have made these transitions. Because even if we stayed in the same job, like you said, for a long time, there's been new projects and new things we've taken on that we haven't been able to do perfectly right away, right? We're not born learning, like knowing how to walk. We have to learn how to do these things. So that's a great way to focus on that self-compassion. Yeah, of course. I think that's a trick I use for confidence all to, all the time is looking back at like something that worked or something that I did before that was hard. You know, I've been known to remind myself that I gave birth. <laughs> right. Feeling like, oh, this is really hard. I'm like, oh, you gave birth. You'll be okay. Yeah. Um, so I think that that is a trick that works really well. Yeah. I really love that. Okay, so this is a new question I'm asking everyone because I'm a bookworm and a bit of a book hoarder and I'm always looking for new book recommendations. If I was your best friend, what book would you recommend I read? It can be fiction or nonfiction. So I was warned I might get this question and it felt like, so I only have one kid, so obviously I have a favorite child, but it felt like if I had many and you asked me to pick my favorite child, that was right. question. Can I give yeah. you three? Sure. Are you open to that? Okay. Yeah, I got a giant list. What are my three like <laughs> highly recommend books? So one is Playing Big by Tara Moore. The next one is I Know How She Does It by Laura Vanderkam. And P.S. Go read anything of Laura Vanderkam's. She's fantastic. And the last one is Essentialism by Greg McEwen. Awesome. And can you tell a little bit about why you'd recommend those, what they're like? Yes, I would love to. So Playing Big. So I mentioned earlier that one of the things that helped me on my leadership journey was kind of waking up to all the ways I was conditioned to lead in a masculine way and to feel bad about any feminine traits I was bringing forward. So Playing Big helped me open my eyes to that. So I think that's one of the biggest things you would take away from Playing Big. It also gives you great tools for envisioning what you might want in your future and going after it. So great book. Highly recommend that one. I Know How She Does It by Laura Vanderkam is fascinating. So she follows, I believe it was 100 women for a week. And she has them log their time. And so, and these are all women who make more than $100,000 a year. So you get to see how successful women are managing their time. So it's like, if you're a curious person, it's absolutely fascinating to see like, where do they fit this in? And where do they fit that in? And I think all of them had kids or most of them did. Uh, so you could see like how these very busy women were fitting things in. And so Laura's analysis of it was exactly what I've been talking about around how do you succeed at work and still have a life. And some of these people were extremely busy people, you know, lawyers, accountants, things like that. And she took like she had an accountant during tax season. And so she talked about like, how did she fit in a chance to go swimming and those sorts of things. So it's fascinating from that aspect. If you're someone who feels like, totally time crunched. It's worth a look. And then essentialism. Have you heard of essentialism? No. 
Oh, this is one I think everybody should read. So it's really good. When I talk about prioritizing, I draw a lot on that book where it really makes you think about what really matters. And is it, it can't be possible that everything matters and it isn't true that everything matters. And so it will help shape your mind around how do you hone in on what's important right now and let the rest go. Love it. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to put all those in the show notes so everyone can find them as well. Those are great recommendations and I'll add them to my ever-growing list that I will get through one day, right? I'm starting to have like piles of books around my house. I'm getting some funny looks from my family, from my stacks of books that are everywhere. I could talk books anytime, but yeah, I just stopped buying paper books because they stack up and I do most of mine electronically now. But Yeah, that's, I still love a good... I like holding it in my hands. I don't know why. I've moved to almost everything else electronic, but it's something about books. Like I'd rather just get them from the library and have the hard coffee there, right? I get that. It's a treat for me now. If I get the actual book, I'm like, it's a treat. It's a special. Yeah. But it is really convenient. Like you can have those, my parents love their Kindles and they have a million books on them and they carry them with them everywhere. So I might have to get on the bandwagon with this electronic thing sometime in the next 20 years. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Cheryl, for joining us today. So if folks want to learn more about you, they want to work with you, where can they go to find out more? So the best place to find me is Instagram. I hang out there the most. Um, I do lots of little tips and videos and things like that, talking about leadership, time management, and self-care mostly. And so my handle on Instagram is at Cheryl Marie Dawson. Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes as well so folks can find you more easily. Thank you. Well, thank you again for joining us today. This was a fabulous discussion. So many great tips. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. All right, everyone, that's a wrap for today. I'm Dr. Nicole Byers, and you're listening to the Bold Life Podcast. 